Hey everyone, today I am very privileged to be able to bring to you yet another author interview. I will be interviewing author Jillian Bohm. Jillian is known to the online writing community as Authoress, hostess of Miss Snark's First Victim, a blog for aspiring authors. She's also the author of a short story in the book When the Hero Comes Home 2. Jillian is also the author of the YA book Stormrise, and today we are going to be talking about her brand new YA fantasy, The Stolen Kingdom. I would like to say a big thank you to Giselle and Tortine for allowing me the opportunity to be able to interview Jillian. So without further ado, here's my interview with author Jillian Bohm. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of YA Book Chat. I am very excited to be here and bring you another author interview. Today, I am privileged to be interviewing Jillian Bohm, and she is the author of The Stolen Kingdom. This is her brand new book that just was released, and so we are going to be chatting about that today. Welcome, Jillian, to YA Book Chat. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Well, why don't you uh, just start by telling everybody a little uh, about yourself and the other books that you've written. Sure. My first book debuted a year and a half ago. It's called Stormrise, and it was the um, apex of a very long um, journey to publication. It took me 12 years um, from the time I first started to finally um, having a book come out. So it was very exciting for that to finally happen. <laughs> yes, that's a long <laughs> yes. time for sure. It was a very long time. So um, The Stolen Kingdom is the second of the two books that Tortine um, bought from me. So um, yeah, it's just very exciting to finally have this book coming out as well. And why don't you tell everybody a little bit about what The Stolen Kingdom is about? Sure. Uh, the Stolen Kingdom is about Marilith, a vintner's daughter, who has no idea her hidden magical power is proof of a secret bloodline and claim to the throne. And Alec, the king's second son, who has always hated the dark stolen magic that comes with the throne he hopes never to inherit. Marilith is coerced into a plot to murder the royal family and seize the throne. But when she meets Alec and learns more about the stolen magic, things become more complicated. <laughs> that is for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, this was such a fun book to read. It's just so mysterious and intriguing and just draws you in right from the beginning. I wanted to ask you a little bit about what your writing process for this like was like. I was actually very interested because um, I love that you used a winery that uh, Marilyn's family has uh, the winery um, yes. and, you know, they make wine and um, I love that. So, but I was curious, did you have to do like any kind of research on grape growing and wine making it any of that? 
I really did. <laughs> um, I, mean, I drink wine, but I yes, had to do. We do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's not quite the same. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yes, actually, I did have to do a lot of research on grape growing um, and winemaking both. And I also had to research the history of wine because mm. things that we take for granted now, for instance, we can go and buy wine in a glass bottle. Right. Um, but, you know, in the Renaissance time period or the medieval time period, um, there was no such thing. So um, because I was creating a fantasy world that was more uh, reminiscent of a Renaissance type time period, um, I wanted to make sure I was being authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to look up all kinds of things like that, all the little details that you don't realize you're going to have to think about. Yeah. Um, so, but it was extremely fun. Um, my <laughs> husband and I, we both were very interested in wine. We've been to Napa Valley and we often um, visit a local winery here where we live. And I've actually done a lot of writing at that uh, vineyard. It's a wonderful place to just, oh, nice. oh, it's wonderful. So it's kind of a part of me, I think this whole winery thing. Yeah. My, um, I currently live in South Carolina, but we used to live in Chicago and Michigan. Um, there's a sp- certain area of Michigan that really has some amazing wineries huh. and we would go during the summer. Um, cause it was just really just over an hour or so from where we lived and we would go and do like, you know, wine tours, hit up the different wineries in a day <laughs> yeah. and just, some of the vineyards, they're just absolutely so breathtakingly beautiful. Isn't it's that just, wonderful? It really is. Like we would go and one of them um, had a really big restaurant and we went and had lunch and like, I would just sit there and stare out the window the whole time because <laughs> it's just so pretty. It's true. There's something about wineries that, that does that to you. Um, my husband and I were in London um, the year before last. And um, I think it was at Hampton Court, but there was one of the oldest um, vines, grapevines, like ever. They had a special kind of greenhouse built around it. And it was just all huge and gnarly. And it looked like something out of a fantasy novel. It really did. That is so fantastic. Yeah. That's just the kind of stuff you just stand there and drink it in, you know? Yeah. My grandparents used to have, um, they used to have a, a vine, a grape vine. Um, and they, you know, it was not like you see in vineyards, you know, the smaller rows of them, right. but this was, you know, they had the tall, for, I am not going to do a good job describing this right now, but <laughs> they had like, you know, the tall, like four posts in the top over it. Right. <laughs> and the vine, you know, grows all the way up the, the sides and over the top. And um, even, you know, and it was just small. It was just one thing. But even that, I just remember as a kid, just absolutely loving just sitting under it because they had a um, like a patio and a picnic table under it and we would eat in there um, right underneath the vines. And it was just so pretty. And I always loved it and looking at the grapes and my cousin and I would get um, so excited when the grapes would start to grow and we would constantly, it is, it is. We'd constantly be asking like, when are the grapes going to be ready? You know, (laughs) you see, there's something inherently magical about grapes. That must be it. I think so. I really do. Like, I don't know that I feel this way about other fruit or other, you know, the way other fruit grows. So, (laughs) right. (laughs) There you have it. (laughs) 
so along the same vein, did you kind of do any research on magic? And I ask this because the magic in your book, which I, I do want to talk about a little bit more in detail um, in a bit, but it's, it's different. Like I, it has a different feel to it to me than magic in other books that I've read. Well, that actually makes me very happy. <laughs> I <laughs> wanted it to be <laughs> something different. Um, but no, um, as far as researching that or looking it up, not really. Um, the bulk of my reading ever since childhood has been fantasy. Mm. So I think that after a while, you know, you just read so much and glean so much. It just becomes a part of your unconscious. So um, I knew that I wanted this to be set in a vineyard. So it just was kind of, I think, a natural outgrowth to give Marilith a magic that was tied in with the earth and what things that grow. So, yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know what, let's just talk about the magic because okay. there's just so much. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I just love it. Cause it's just like this dark, dark magic and it's extremely powerful and controlling. And it really almost feels like it kind of has a personality of its own, you know, now like, that's creepy. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, I didn't mean in a bad way. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. <laughs> it was just very intriguing, um, to read, you know, how the magic lives in different places. Like it lives inside of Alex locket that he has. Yes. And it's just still, even that tiny amount is so powerful. Right. And then like the cloud of it is just crazy and just how it can really control you. Um, what was it like creating this magic? I mean, it's just, it's so fantastic. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> well, it was a lot of fun as you can imagine. Um, and the thing about this magic is that the original magic, which is what Marilith has in her blood, mm -hmm. um, isn't dark and controlling and twisted. Um, the reason the magic became that way is because it was stolen about 100 mm -hmm. years ago. Um, one of the, um, if you want to get into a little backstory, um, one of the original Dalawan kings had a bastard son named Thomas, and he knew he was never going to inherit the throne. Uh, so he took it upon himself to um, take the throne. So he delved into a forbidden kind of blood magic to learn how to take this magic that was in his own blood and bestow it on whomever he wanted to. Mm -hmm. um, so he had a politically powerful friend who happened to be Selmer Thungrave, who said, oh, sure, I'll champion you um, so you can be the new king in exchange <laughs> for giving me some of this magic. And uh, of course, after Thomas had killed his family, Selmer had him murdered and yeah. uh, he took the throne and kept the magic. And so at that point, this magic that was now um, illegitimately in the Thungrave blood, um, that's when it turned dark and mm -hmm. became very controlling. And pretty much each king that that went through that blood ritual pretty much became possessed by it. So, you know, it's funny. I mean, I, I laughed at you a couple of minutes ago and you said it was kind of like alive and thinking for itself, <laughs> but in a way um, it kind of was, I wouldn't say yeah. it, it was a sentient being, but it really did have the power to possess them and pretty much change them. Um, which is something that Alec talked about a lot, how he remembered his dad the way he used to be right. um, before he became King. So so right. that's what made it all twisty and dark. 
And it's very, it's very cool. And it does, you can see in the later in the book with a different character, how it affects them as well. And kind of totally takes over who they are. Right. And right. it's such a change. <laughs> um, it really, you know, and with Marilith, with her power, with how she is able to wield the magic, it's like the opposite of it. You know, like you can really yes. kind of see like in its pure form, it's good. And it does so can do so much good, but if you corrupt it, you know, it becomes this evil thing. And I feel like that's almost like a metaphor for so many things in life, you know, <laughs> probably. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, that's true. So much out there where you just, if you, it's good and it's pure form, but one wrong thing and it goes yep. the wrong direction. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. I do have to say, as I was reading this, I was a bit jealous of Marilis power because, um, <laughs> well, well, like I said earlier, you know, how my grandparents had the grapevine. I, I thought about like, as she's out there at the beginning of the book and ripening the grapes, I was like, man, I really would have loved to have had that power <laughs> when I was a kid out my grandparents, you know, vine, like, I'm just going to touch it. And there it goes. And even, <laughs> even like now when I have a piece of fruit in my house, yes. that goes bad or something, you know, like if I could just touch it and restore <laughs> it to its full ripeness, <laughs> I've changed your life forever. Haven't I? <laughs> yes, you really have. <laughs> I mean, you know, Yes. <laughs> and of course, that's that's just a small part of her magic. It becomes so much more later in the book. Right. But um, yeah, which is and it, that's something else that I really enjoyed, too, because I loved seeing how the development of it. I felt like, you know, as she develops, you know, her character arc throughout the book, you also see her magic kind of has its own character arc. Yes. Yes, it, it had to grow along with her. That was uh, a little bit challenging too. You know, whenever you have any kind of magic system that you've come up with, it's, it's really hard sometimes to figure out what the parameters are um, and what somebody can and cannot do and what it will look like mm -hmm. when that ability grows. Um, I wrote a book once that never went anywhere, but um, because it was a mess, but um, <laughs> what and, uh, I wrote it, I realized about three quarters of the way through that I hadn't thought through the parameters of the magic I had given this character. And literally she was just, <laughs> she was doing everything and anything possible um, with magic. I mean, she was like jumping up high heights when she had to go out of a hole and she was just, <laughs> and after all, I'm like, no, this is more like an Avengers movie than yeah. uh, <laughs> magic. So uh, I put that one aside, but um, it was all because I, I just hadn't put those parameters on the magic. So, yeah. Is that the book that you mentioned in the acknowledgments at the back, The Seeds of Pear and Fay? Uh, no, that one was really awful. That, oh, that's a different one? That's a different oh, one. No. <laughs> I definitely have more than one awful novel <laughs> in a way. <laughs> I'm sure that many authors do. <laughs> yes. I can imagine. I mean, yes, I think oh. so. There's just so much that, I mean, okay. So I have, um, self-published a couple of children's books and oh, nice. that, yeah, that in itself was difficult. Like I sit and I read these YA fantasy novels and dystopian and all these things. And I just think, how do they do this? <laughs> like, <laughs> I think, you know, I can like, and I blog and, you know, I'm like, I can write shorter things, but I don't know if my brain could function well enough to write this whole long, complicated thing. <laughs> 
Well, and you know, it's funny because that's really my own history. I believed that I could not write a novel. Mm. Um, I self-published a nonfiction book back in 2003. Okay. And it was a collection of anecdotal essays for stay-at-home or work-at-home moms. And, um, and that was my niche. And that's what I was myself. And I pretty much considered myself an essayist. Isn't that like a dreadful thing to call yourself? Yes. But yes. Um, I just, <laughs> yes, I know. But I just, um, even though when, you know, when I was a kid, I wrote stories all the time um, mm-hmm. and loved to write stories and always a big bookworm. I just couldn't see myself. Just what you said a minute ago, like, how do people do that? I don't yeah. think I could do that. Um, but then I was reading a book that I really hated one night and <laughs> I know, and I thought to myself, I, I think I could do better than this. Yeah. And believe it or not, that was the impetus for writing that first novel, the very horrible one that I mentioned <laughs> in the acknowledgements. Yeah. Well, we all have to try and fail before we succeed. Yes, so that's just it. I, I do have to say, listening to what you were just saying, um, we have so much in common, I feel like, because <laughs> I, I too was the just avid reader as a child, always reading anything I could get my hands on. And I loved writing stories too, all the time. So, um, yeah, we would have been friends. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you too about, um, Okay. The love trope in this book. Oh my goodness. It's yes. so fun. Like I haven't, I don't know if I've read another YA like this. Cause it's like enemies to lovers to enemies to lovers, like just back <laughs> and forth. But it was, it was really, it was fun, but it was also one of those where I was like, oh my gosh, I can't take this. I have no idea what's going to happen with this relationship. <laughs> I don't know. And then it was like, I don't know which direction I want this to go. I don't know if I want. Yeah. I mean, I really was struggling at some points. I was like, I don't know if I want them to be together. Maybe they (laughs) shouldn't be, but no, I think that they should be together. Like it was a very back and forth, but I, I really enjoyed having that turmoil. I know I'm so glad. Yeah. I mean, to some people listening, they might be like, what are you talking about? But I don't know, for me, <laughs> no, I, I, I wanted you to have turmoil. So you're making good. me very happy. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder. Um, yeah, I, I said, I mean, there are definitely books that I have read where I think, wow, the author really set out to torture their readers with this one. <laughs> I didn't think that about yours, but oh, I definitely good. felt like the turmoil with it. <laughs> Well, I was, it was kind of torture uh, on this end because it's actually, it was, it was hard to, uh, to figure that all out, you know, pitting them Mm -hmm. against each other. So maybe some of the torture I was feeling when I was (laughs) writing it, maybe that oozed out a little bit while you were reading it. Probably. It's very possible. I know, um, I've heard that, uh, Marissa Meyer would talk about, when she wrote Heartless and how hard that was for her oh, wow. with what happens at the end of that one. And even with that, it's like, you kind of know what's going to happen because we all know the story of Alice in Wonderland and about the Queen of Hearts. But it's like, yeah. you know, you still have that turmoil that has to come in and be a part of it. So, yes, but it's all good. Yes, it, it's it's good. It's enjoyable to read. And so I, <laughs> I do, I, I feel like, if I am reading a book and I am not that emotionally pulled in, something is wrong. 
Like I yes. need to be pulled in. <laughs> yep. It's true. Yeah. It's a better, like there may be times when I want to throw the book against the wall and yell <laughs> at the characters as I'm reading. Um, you know, I will cry. So good. Yeah. That's, that's good. That's what I want. I want a book that that's makes really me do good. all those things. So <laughs> you're, you're like the dream reader here. Oh, this is so good. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, I have definitely had the opposite where I've read a couple that I was like, this is the worst book I've ever read, but not too many, fortunately. So, oh, good. Do you, um, now I haven't read your other book. Um, is there, do you have a, um, a love situation in that one too? Is it a different, if there is, is it a different love trope or kind of the same? Um, no, it's, it's, it's a pretty different one. Okay. Um, it's more of a friends to lovers thing, but it's a, it's a little more complicated than that. Um, gotcha. but like this one, I mean, it's not, it's not front stage center, you know, yeah. um, I always like to have some romance in my stories, but I don't ever want the romance to overshadow everything else that's going on. And I think um, that's really great. I, I enjoy that. I know unless I'm reading a specific like rom-com, I know going in, it's going to focus on the relationship. <laughs> right, right. But I, you know, if a, with a book like this though, with a fantasy, I like that, you know, it's there, but it's kind of to the side a little bit. It's not the main focus because that's not why I'm reading the book. If I want that as the main focus, I'm going to read that type of book, you know? Right. Yep. So that, that works well. Did you enjoy writing one of these love tropes more than the other one? Ooh, um, <laughs> I think <laughs> this one was harder. Mm. So, um, you know, I mean, who enjoys doing something harder? Um, right. <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, I, uh, I always enjoy working out the relationships and seeing where they're going to go. So I, I guess I really didn't like one more than the other. They were just very different. Yeah. Um, so what you just said actually makes me want to ask you, there's another question I was going to ask you anyway. Um, so you said you like to write the relationship and kind of see where it's going to go. So are you more of a plotter or a pantser when you write, do you plan it out or do you just kind of, <laughs> I am definitely a plotter. Okay. Um, I, I did not start out that way, but you know, you can paint yourself into a corner just so many times. Mm -hmm. And after a while, I started paying attention to some of the writers out there who actually went into it with more of a plan. So I, I won't start a novel now until I have a really firm I outline. Um, now that doesn't mean things don't happen on their own organically, because that always is true. Mm -hmm. um, but overall, I definitely know like what my plot points are going to be and when I need to hit them. Um, now, with, as far as characters, though, I'm more of a of a pantser with my characters. Okay. I know some some writers will sit down and literally have whole entire files on each character and what color their hair is and what you know <laughs> what's their favorite vegetable and and I can't stand doing that. <laughs> I I just have to write the story and kind of let the characters become who they are in the context yeah. of the first draft. So I guess you'd say that I'm a plotter with pantsed characters. <laughs> a little bit Doesn't of a mix of both. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that makes sound really weird. Okay, I, good. I feel like if it were me, I would 
I would probably be a mix of both as well. Like the two um, children's books that I've self-published was actually really easy because I didn't, I, well, I don't want to say really easy because it's never easy, but what I mean is I I didn't have to really develop the characters because I, the books I wrote were about my family. (laughs) So (laughs) I already had my characters in place, you know, like I wrote one, um, you know, about, like a true story about my grandparents and my sister and my cousin and I to kind of, you know, pay homage to them and wrote it for my family. And then the other one is um, my son has food allergies. And so I wrote a story about him and what he's experienced and what other kids experience. So it was like, I already kind of had these characters there, <laughs> so I didn't have to develop anything. Well, um, but I do tend to be a, ve- a big planner by nature. So I'm sure that I would, probably do that too. But again, you know, like you said, things change, you know, you change your mind about things. So they do. And that's, that's the beauty of it. You know, a plan is, is a plan and that's great, but you know, this is still a creative endeavor. So Mm -hmm. you have to give it room to breathe um, and let that creative process happen. Um, so even with the the book that I'm drafting right now, I was going back and forth with my agent on, you know, the outline and ideas. And I finally said to her, I really just need to start writing now because <laughs> I can't, I just can't do this yeah. off page anymore. So she said, yes, you're ready. Go for it. <laughs> so um, there does come a point where the plan just, it has to stop and you just have to get those words on the page. Yeah, I do. Um, we mentioned the characters. I do. I love the characters in this book. Marilith is so strong and I love that she, now I, I could kind of relate to her a little bit because, you know, at the beginning she kind of feels stuck where she is. Like yes. she's at the vineyard, she's taken her mother's place, but she doesn't want to be there. Like, you know, I mean, she right. wants to do something different. She wants the vineyard to belong to her and not be stuck in the in the kitchen, making the meals. And she feels, I love that she talks about how she feels like her half brother, just, he doesn't have a clue. He doesn't know, you know, (laughs) he wouldn't care about it. Like she would. And I've, of course he doesn't. (laughs) Well, no, right. Nobody cares about it the way that you do. Right. (laughs) I feel like I could relate to her in that way in different aspects. (laughs) That's great. But she is, you know, she, she knows what she wants and who she is and who she wants to be. And, um, now she does not have a choice for part of this, (laughs) you know, circumstances as they are. Um, so she is kind of thrust into it, but she really takes it on pretty quickly and is like, all right, this is what I need to do. Um, so I just love that for her. Was it, tell me what it was like kind of developing her character. Well, it was challenging um, because, you know, this book was originally my very first horrible novel is where I got the idea. So the character, the original Marilith, um, was very different. She was only 12 and Nestor was the one who had the cool storyline with the the, um, bloodline tied to the throne and all that. Mm. And so when I was trying to work out what to do to take that old story and some of the elements like the vineyards Mm -hmm. and create something new. I was really struggling with what to do and particularly what to do with Meryl, this character. And then the big revelatory moment was, Hey, Nestor's got the cool story here with the bloodline to the throne. What if I make that Marilith's story 
instead of nesters. Yeah. And that's when she came to life. That's when she became, you know, that 17 year old girl who wanted more out of life than cooking for the vineyard workers every day. Um, But it was still hard because, you know, you don't realize you're holding on to things um, from an old manuscript that need that you need to let go of. So I had to go through a kind of continual process of, no, I've got to let this go. I've got to like, no, that doesn't work. No, that's really dumb, Jill. Don't do that. So (laughs) I had to work through all that, which is really different from starting fresh with a new character that you just created for a new story. So, um, but it's fine because in the end, I'm just really so thrilled that that very first terrible novel (laughs) has uh, been reborn, so to speak. I mean, this is nothing like that old one, but it has a lot of the same elements in um, the characters' names and so forth. Um, So, yeah. And one thing I just in general, not only in the Stolen Kingdom, but in general, that tends to be a weak spot for me is when I'm drafting a story, I tend to make my protagonist too passive. Okay. And I think, you know, I think that's a pretty common problem. You don't realize that there's just enough, not enough agency um, for the character and too many things are happening to the character instead of the character creating the change and creating things. And so um, I know that I had to work through that as I went along all the different drafts to make sure Marilith was strong, to make sure Mm -hmm. that her arc was moving forward, that her magic was growing in proportion to her character. So it was challenging, but I don't think it was any more challenging or less challenging than any other character, you know, that you would write. It's just a lot to think about. Yeah. And I definitely, um, I read a book series recently where I, I, I definitely felt like, the the main character got too passive yes. <laughs> at one point because and it was torture like it was really yeah. hard to read and fi- I was like I am committed so I'm going to finish this series <laughs> but it wasn't it wasn't necessarily as enjoyable to read because it just felt like she kept on uh, putting things off and not taking the steps that it seemed like somebody in her position should take. And like, it seemed right. like she should be doing so much more than she was. And it just wasn't happening. And it was very frustrating as a reader. Yes. Um, so yeah, so I totally get what you're saying. And Marilith is definitely the opposite of that. So well, that's wonderful to hear. <laughs> and I, I did want to ask too about um, Tucker and Alec. Oh my gosh. I, <laughs> I love, um, Alec is a great character and Tucker too. And just their relationship was so fun. I just, I just, they like, they have, you know, such a, such a strong bond, they're best friends. And I loved the banter between them. It was good. It was like, I was reading it and I was like, oh my gosh, these two could be brothers. Like, I feel like I, I felt like I was at a family event and listening to my male cousins interact with each other. Oh, that's great. I love that. <laughs> it just felt so realistic. Yay. Um, do you now I'm, I'm, so I'm curious, do you have any sons yourself or anybody who maybe <laughs> helped inspire that fantastic banter between them or. <laughs> oh, does it show? Yes, I have. 
<laughs> I have two sons and they are both grown. Um, and of course my husband as well. And I just, as, as a mom of sons and raised raising them, I just really, um, learned how important it is, you know, over the years to have those male friendships, um, mm-hmm. which a lot of guys, they just don't. I mean, I think a lot of times women are better at forging friendships versus just relationships that have other labels attached, you know, and we tend mm-hmm. to go a little deeper in conversation and, and things like that. Um, but I had so much fun uh, writing those those conversations, I had to kind of pull back a little bit, like, all right, Tucker's going on a little bit too long in the scene. I need to shut him up now. But I had such a, I had such a crush on him. I just kept going. Um, (laughs) But it is, you know, I just really wanted to reflect um, what that kind of relationship is, you know, that Mm -hmm. kind of brotherly relationship, even though you're not brothers and just kind of knowing what each other's going to say before you say it. And um, it just actually their, their dialogue was some of the easiest to write. Really? Um, it oh, really was. So, it, and well, and I suppose if you have boys, that makes sense. Yeah, um, I think so. And I, I actually have boys as well, but they are, so you know, I you do. Know. I mean, they're younger though. They're seven and 10, but even still reading yep. Tucker and Alec, I was like, oh, this is in my future right now. Like I can <laughs> see it. I was like, I yes, totally see my so two great. kids. Doing so, it I hope it is in your future. Cause I think it's great. You know, I just, yeah. you know, wouldn't you just love that for your sons to just grow up and just be best friends. Right. I would. Cause Right now at this age, some days they're best friends and some days they whip on, you know, beat on each other. So, I mean, wrestle each other to the ground, but they do have those sweet moments. And those are the moments that give me hope. Yes. Hang on to those moments. (laughs) So now I'm going to be like, listen, boys, when you're older, you need to read this book. And this is what your relationship should be like. Okay. (laughs) There you go. Uh, You're welcome. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) it's fine. Boys are, boys are fun, but they are. Yeah. They are. And I just, um, that was actually, I like, I loved the entire book, but I think that the scenes with the two of them were my favorite. Like I would turn the page and go, Oh yes. Elk and Tucker are together again. This is great. (laughs) I love that. That's so great. (laughs) We did. Uh, so you've mentioned kind of, as we've gone along, um, some of the different challenges that you faced, uh, were there any other, challenges in writing this that maybe we haven't talked about yet? Any other things that really stick out like that was really hard? Yeah, no. um, I mean, other than just letting go of those attachments from the original Mm -hmm. story that I mentioned, um, really the hardest thing to figure out was the whole Marilith, Alec, enemy ship, for lack of a better word, because, (laughs) you know, you're kind of like working in this relationship and there's an arc there. And, you know, in the beginning part, I mean, Alec, has no clue. He doesn't even know who she really is. Um, so his perception of it is different from hers because he doesn't mm-hmm. know the truth, you know, in the beginning. Right. And I had all these ideas about what that was going to look like. And it was really, really hard to actually create it, to make the emotional arcs believable. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Alec, he's got to be really angry. Well, what does that look like? And how does that line up with his feelings? And, you know, um, it was just way harder than I wanted it to be. Um, <laughs> so at, in, at one point I had um, 
uh, little people, you know, the Fisher Price little wooden people dolls. They, yes. uh, so I literally, I like took a handful of those and I said, okay, this is Marilith and this is Alec and this is Tucker. <laughs> and I was moving them around in the living room trying, I'm thinking, well, maybe if I play with them, they'll, I'll figure out how this is supposed to work. That's how desperate I was. Oh my gosh. So it was, it was really excruciating. I'm not cool. sure why, but it really was. That is, it's so fun though, to hear that. Like, <laughs> I feel like, um, I sometimes tend to be a very visual person. And yes. so I feel like that's what I would need to do as well. Absolutely. Like I would, I'd probably grab, except it would be my kids Lego minifigures. Yes. But you know, be, that would work too. You know, it yes. would, it would. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, I feel like writing just a plain enemies to lovers is one thing, you know, cause it's probably, it's got like a slow build. Like there's just these little hints usually that happen and you can see, you know, where it's going, but when you have to have like the back and forth and that extra turmoil in there, I can definitely see how it would be a lot more challenging to figure all of that out and write all of that. It really was. (laughs) It was, but it was worth it. It's always worth it. And in the end, it works out beautifully. I mean, as far as like I'm not trying to give any spoilers away for those of you listening. What I meant was (laughs) in the end, it worked out and that it creates a great story in the book. Yes. (laughs) That's a safe way to put it. Yes. (laughs) So a couple of uh, just kind of different fun questions. I'm just curious. So I know what you write, but what kinds of books do you like to read? Well, fantasy has always been my very first love. Um, I was reading... Terry Brooks and Catherine Kurtz back when I was like in seventh grade, there was no such thing as YA fantasy back then. It was Uh just kind of YA as a, as a category was kind of just on the horizon and just showing up, but the fantasy uh, part of that just wasn't there. So I cut my teeth on all the big fantasy names and I've never stopped loving it. So I always go there first. Um, but I also love dystopian. Mm. Um, I love the hunger games and I just love that kind of story. I love to write that kind of story. Um, and then I also love, um, historical fiction, especially if it's set in the Tudor, um, era of England. Um, I'm just like a huge fan of the whole Henry VIII and his wives and the Renaissance and the Reformation and all that, you know, um, Thomas Cromwell. And um, if you hand me a book like that, then I will just be very happy. (laughs) So I I have to agree on all of that as well. And so I'm a theater teacher and I'm actually working right now with my students on a um, unit about Elizabethan England and theater history. And how fun. Yes. And I mentioned to them because the time period we're talking about is when uh, Henry VIII's second daughter, Elizabeth by his second wife, uh, is ruling. And I mentioned now I teach middle school, so they have not yet learned about Henry the eighth, but I mentioned to him, I said, so this man had six wives killed four of them. And they were like, what, what are you talking about? I said, oh yeah, he's a great story. Just wait, you're going to love it. (laughs) I've always just, I don't know why I've always been so fascinated by that. His story. It just, 
I don't know if it just, it just baffles me in some ways, yes. but I'm also like, what was it about this man? You know? I, know, I know. And I never get tired of it. I just mm-hmm. never get tired of, of reading about it and watching documentaries and yes. movies. It's just, just a whole, he's a fast, it's a fascinating story of a man who's pretty much a head case, I think, but yes. just can't stop <laughs> learning more about him. You know, I don't know what that's all about. Have you watched the show, the Tudors? With- yes. Oh, I, yes. And I'll tell you, I got totally sucked in, but there <laughs> were so many, there were just too many things that were wrong. Um, so that's, so for me, then I start sitting there and just being critical <laughs> instead of, <laughs> you know, so the least of which, I don't know the name of the actor who played Henry, but he was way too small. Mm-hmm. Um, and he then was. at the end, yeah. And Henry, by the end of his life was just enormous. Right. Um, and I saw his actual suit of armor, um, when we were in London and oh, it wow. was, it was gigantic. I oh, mean, it was like a very imposing piece of armor. And <laughs> so that was cool and kind of scary, but this little twerp <laughs> on the tutors was oh, this yeah. little guy. And then, so at the end, when he was kind of nearing the end of his life, he kind of started talking like Batman. Yes. Did you know? I was like, Oh my what gosh. is he doing? This is just so oh, cringy. So my, yeah. Yes. My husband and I were like, what is he doing? This is horrible. <laughs> he has just become a horrible actor. Like yeah. what happened here? <laughs> it, was like, it was awful. I'm so glad I'm not oh, the only one. No, no, no. Dreadful. Not to mention he was probably, uh, at least, you know, in the early seasons before he becomes older, he was probably way more attractive than the actual Henry VIII was. Yes, That's for sure. Guess. Yes. Um, but, yes. you know, um, it's funny, you know, cause you said why there wasn't really YA when you were growing up. And I feel that way too. Like, well, it, for me, it was different. Like it was, it came in the form of Nancy Drew oh, and yeah. the babysitter's club and yes. Sweet yeah. Valley High. So I had those kind of stories, which I still love and look so fondly on. And, um, but when I was in middle school, my uncle, changed my life because he gave me the Hobbit and the Lord. Oh, and that was it. I, he just changed my world. Like he, that just opened me up to so much other reading and to a whole world I had not even discovered yet. And I was just so drawn in and I was like, I, I, Still, I mean, to this day, look, I'm 40 years old and that was when I was in middle school and I'm still telling, I still tell people how my uncle yeah. changed my life by giving me those oh, books. It's I just, love that story. That's wonderful. Yeah. So, I mean, so when you say, you know, you were reading all these big fantasy authors too at a young age, like I just, that's how I started too, was just my uncle saying, here, read this Tolkien. Read this. You're going to love yes. this. And, and I did. And it has, I have never been the same. So (laughs) that's just wonderful. And you know, what's really interesting too, about my growing up years, and I don't know what kind of literary cesspool my hometown was. I don't know, but I, I didn't know that the Hobbit was a book. There was this Mm. thing on Saturday mornings, this uh, animated version of it that yes. they would show. And I loved that so much, but I had no idea that um, Tolkien was an author and that was a book. No idea. Never heard of Lord of the Rings. Didn't read that till I was in college. Oh. And I also had never heard of the Chronicles of Narnia. Oh, Other so than, a- again, there was, um, there was some weird real person thing on Saturday morning 
TV was really strange back then, but it was, it was the lion, the witch in the wardrobe and it, but it was with actors. And um, I loved it. I thought it was cool because it was fantasy, but I didn't know it was a book, let alone an entire book series. Yeah. So I feel like there are these holes, these really mm-hmm. important holes that I don't know why they were there. So I read some of that stuff later. Um, and then I was actually reading some stuff that was actually adult fantasy when I was younger. So it it was kind of, kind of flipped upside down there, but you're right. It it does change your life because if you read your first fantasy book and it resonates with you, then it really just opens up a whole new world, an imaginative place that wasn't Mm -hmm. there before. And that's probably one of the things I really love about fantasy. Me too. It just, it just takes you away to such a different place and a completely different world where all these other things are possible, you know? And I feel like, um, my husband sometimes laughs at me because he's like, so you're reading books that are intended for teenagers. I'm like, listen, (laughs) yes, I am because you don't understand, honey. Like they are just that good. And it's just, you know, it is that like, I feel like even as an adult, like I need that escape. You know, I need to be taken to this other world where all these fantastical creatures live and magic exists and all of these possibilities are out there. It's just, it's yeah. Why I just still enjoy it and know that no matter how old I get, it's not going to matter. And I'm still going to read it. So yes, you are. (laughs) It's just too fun not to read. It really is so fun. Why doesn't everybody know this? (laughs) I know. Now you mentioned the hunger game. So I do have to ask, have you read the ballad of songbirds and snakes? Yes, I have. Of course. (laughs) Just making sure. (laughs) I have read it. I I got that immediately when it was released. Couldn't wait. Yeah. Me too. I jumped on that right away. It was like, I am going to love this. Yeah. And I did. It was a fantastic. Yeah. It was a lot of fun to read. I love all the little Easter eggs she had Mm -hmm. uh, stuck in there. You know, that if you didn't read the Hunger Games, you would have missed them all. But it was just a lot of fun. It was. Are you, are you currently reading anything yourself? I am. And believe it or not, it's not YA, which is what I usually (laughs) read. And it's not even fantasy. Um, I am reading Wolf Hall by Mm. Hilary Mantle. Um, There is a a mini series, which is actually where I learned about it. Didn't know that it was a book. It's actually three books. And this is the first one, but there's a wonderful BBC mini series by the same name, Wolf Hall. Okay. And it's, um, it's about Thomas Cromwell and it's set during uh, Tudor. Um, (laughs) and it's set during the time period when Henry was trying to get the divorce from Catherine, Mm. his first wife, and so that he could marry Anne Boleyn. And so that's the time period. And it is one of the most well done, incredible, um, miniseries, um, I've ever seen my husband and I watch it over and over again. We own it. And so he bought me the books for Christmas and it was wonderful. He's so good to me. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, I was surprised when I started reading because it's actually written in first person. Oh, uh, present. No, I'm not sorry. First person. No, no, no. It's written in, um, present tense, third person present. So that's a device you see a lot in YA and adult contemporary, and it's kind of a thing. Um, But I didn't expect it in a Tudor era um, adult novel. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's, it took me a while to get used to it, but um, it's, 
definitely not an easy read, but I am, <laughs> I'm forging through because I, um, I just love the miniseries and I love the time period so much. And, uh, so I have confidence that I won't give this up. <laughs> it sounds very intriguing. I may need to look up that mini series because that Definitely. sounds like something I would enjoy as well. I it's really, fun. just from what we've spoken of, I, I think you would enjoy it. It's, it's absolutely a masterpiece. And I, I do love that surprise of watching something like a TV show or a movie and then realizing afterwards that it was a book. And I'm like, wait a minute, I can go and read this. Yes. Because the book is always better. Usually. Well, well, usually, usually um, there are exceptions, but yes, yes. But no, usually, usually the book is better, but I've had a couple experiences where I've read a book after the movie and I was like, Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just stick to the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I I think the Stolen Kingdom would be a fantastic movie. Like I would love to see this in movie form. So here's hoping that maybe one day that happens for you because <laughs> that would be so fun. Isn't that every author's dream though? Oh yes. Yeah. I you know, I often I think I have thought about this because um I've read the Red Queen series by Victoria Aveyard. Oh, okay. And she has hinted so many times like that there's going to be either like TV or film versions right. of it. Yeah. And I, I was, I just wonder like how, how that works sometimes because like, I mean, that is an excellent series and I love it. I own all yes. them all. Um, but she like, it was so quick. Like she said right away, she got you know, talk, she got, um, interest in it as becoming wow. like movies and stuff. And I'm always wondering like, how, how does that happen? Like, cause some yes. books don't, and there are some books that I read. I'm like, this really needs to be a movie. How yep. did this not get option to be a movie I know. yet? You know? I know it's so, true. It's just, yeah. But well, hopefully one day I hope that for you. Well, thank you. That would be really fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody where they can follow you on social media, maybe what your website is, uh, where they can buy the book. Okie doke. Well, my website is jillianbohm.com. And I do put out a monthly newsletter. You can subscribe on my website. And when you sign up, you will receive a free ebook um with uh, me narrating it's audio it's an audiobook free audiobook that is a um fairy tale in rhyme um and you get to hear me narrating it so nice. that's my free little gift for you also if you are an aspiring author um you can go to the page for writers on my website and there's a book that you can download for free it's called agent demystified and mm. it's going to take all the scariness out of querying agents and uh, hopefully convince you that they're actually normal people <laughs> like you and me. <laughs> um, and mostly um, online, you will find me on Instagram at Jillian Baum. And I think that's it. I'm also on Twitter, but I'm not really on Twitter very much. Mm. So if you really want to hang out and follow me and find out what's going on, you should definitely follow me on Instagram and subscribe to my newsletter. That sounds great. And I will put links to all of that in the show notes for today, as well as a link to where you can purchase the Stolen Kingdom as well. Great. Uh, 
So yeah, it's the, you guys, I highly recommend this book. It is so fantastic. And I think that you should all go out and buy this because it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> of course. Well, and I want to say thank you so much, Jillian, for coming on um, and talking with me. Uh, it's really been a lot of fun. I have had a blast. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, you're welcome. And thank you everybody for listening. And as always, we will chat again soon. Today's episode featured the book, The Stolen Kingdom by Jillian Bohm. I want to say a big thank you to Jillian for coming on YA Book Chat today and chatting with me. And thanks again to Giselle at Tortine. And be sure to check out my interview with Sarah Henning. She is another of Tortine's fantastic authors. YA Book Chat was created by, is hosted and edited by me, Leah Stuller. <laughs>